You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's version of Healthcare Insight on America's Web Radio. I'm Ron Bachman, and I'm glad to have you back for this week's podcast. I hope you've been joining us the last several weeks as we've been talking about understanding healthcare consumerism. We've been going through a number of programs trying to best understand how we can move forward with national health reform with the underlying concept and basis being consumerism, that is getting people engaged in their own health and health care. The very first programs that we presented through these podcasts outline a detailed structure for national health reform. What we're doing now, we're in the middle of a series that identifies the critical issues of how we change the behaviors of people and get them engaged in health and health care. So it's not just some new legislation. It's not some new law. But it's how do we create a benefit design? How do we encourage people to actually engage in better health and health care decision-making? How do we get them the information? How do we reward and incentivize people? Well, that's the whole idea of healthcare consumerism. And we've identified in the last couple of weeks that there are five generations of healthcare consumerism that are actually developing as we speak. These are real designs that are occurring in the marketplace to various extents, uh, various products, various options, various choices, various uh, services that will help patients and members optimize the value of the financing that they've chosen to pay for the health care that they need. And we've been through the first three generations already. And today we're going to talk a lot about the fourth and fifth generations and maybe even beyond that. These are not academic or think tank models. These generations don't refer to some hypothetical. These generations refer to what's actually happening in the marketplace the experimentation of so many companies across this country implementing healthcare for their employees, especially if they're self-funded or self-insured plans. These companies can do their own thing, if you will. They can experiment with what might work and what might not work. That's the great experimental environment that we live in, where we don't have a one-size-fits-all government-imposed design. That's what we have with Obamacare on the smaller groups that aren't self-insured. But once you're self-insured, you have a lot more flexibility. And as a result, we have an opportunity to experiment on things that work and things that don't work. And when things work, that success gets shared across the country to other companies. Typically, within the same industry, your competition is looking at what you're doing and can they adopt it, can they learn from the lessons of companies that are like them, either in the same geography, the same industry. And then they go to conferences, and there are people speak about the successes. There are consultants out there promoting different concepts that are working. There are studies, academic studies, that are put together to say this is working, this isn't working. There are all sorts of surveys that are put together. So what we're doing now in these programs is trying to bring that together so that there's another avenue for people to learn and understand what's working and what's not working. We're going to talk about healthcare consumerism and the things that are working within these generations that 
anybody listening to this program, whether it's a HR uh, executive, whether it's a CFO, whether it's a benefit manager, uh, anybody involved in providing the health care benefits and selecting the type of benefit options that are available to your employees, these programs can help in that. From a legislator standpoint, hopefully they could understand that it's not just about passing laws that might apply across the board to everybody, but passing laws that support a free market, that create options and opportunities both for companies to develop products and for consumers to purchase products of their choice. And that the key underlying that legislation would be the ability to encourage, promote, and certainly at least allow the concepts of healthcare consumerism to be offered in the marketplace. Of the five generations, we've gone through three at this point. The first generation is sort of the the high deductible health plan um, with an HSA, a health savings account, or an HRA, a health reimbursement arrangement. And you choose that plan design and the account is set at time of enrollment. And those are the original plans that were offered up 10, 15 years ago. But today, we've moved beyond that. Second generation is where I would start if you've not done anything. But if you have a first generation product still there, think about rapidly moving and implementing the second generation at the next opportunity. Because second generation says you're not just going to get an account when you select your product through open enrollment. What we're going to do with this plan design in second generation is as you do things throughout the year to stay healthy, to follow your doctor's orders, to be compliant with the care and treatment plan that you have, to do things like preventive care and early intervention, wellness activities, well-being activities, that we will put additional monies into your account. So your account is not static, it's dynamic. Therefore, your benefit, your overall benefit, which includes not just the sort of the pure insurance side in an account, but the combination of those two means that your whole package changes throughout the year based upon the things that you're willing to do as a consumer, as a patient, as a plan member, so that you can have a big impact on the kind of coverage that you have and what's paid for by the insurance company or paid out of your employer's self-funded plan. That can change depending upon what you would like to do to protect your own health. And the whole idea there is that you can improve your own human capital. You can make your employers, your value to your employers that much better if you're healthy. You can make that much more, mean that much more to your family, your community, if you're healthy. Because if you're not healthy, if you don't take care of yourself, if you come down with a chronic and persistent condition that takes you off of the um, work site, takes you out of your home, hospitalizes you, you're not providing a lot of value that you could be. So we get to third generation, which we've already described last week. And third generation is how your work environment affects your health, but how your health affects your work environment. And it's that interactive connection between your health and your human capital, your value to the people around you, again, whether it's family, community, or your work. And there's a lot of interaction that goes beyond there. If you're If you're being treated like an adult in many other aspects of your employer situation, then you can be used to and be ready to take on more of an adult 
relationship with your healthcare plan. You'll take those actions that give you more benefits, more rewards into your account. So what your employer does and allows you to do and how your employer uh, recognizes your value is going to have a big impact on your attitude towards healthcare that they're not trying to cut your benefits. They're not trying to play games with you, that they're actually providing something that would be of value to you. So let's start talking about the fourth generation. And fourth generation healthcare consumerism, it's what I refer to as personalized health. There are many advanced aspects of fourth generation healthcare consumerism already being implemented across the country. However, fourth generation healthcare consumerism concepts are a collection of developing and likely future programs where some may require legal, regulatory, or technology changes before becoming widespread. There are many companies out there that are doing some of these things in these advanced generations that are being tested. Will they work or won't they work? Will they work with what kind of a population? Will they work with what kinds of rewards and incentives? What kind of information flow is going to be helpful to create fourth-generation healthcare on a much broader basis that's even available today? So planning for the future and being strategically consistent with the prospects of fourth-generation concepts will prove valuable for any plan wherever you are today, in a first, second, or third generation. Let's talk about personal care accounts in a fourth-generation product. A fourth-generation personal care account focuses on individual characteristics of each member and their related lifestyle needs. In a fourth-generation healthcare consumerism world, the legislative changes, personal care accounts may morph or evolve into universal accounts that include the flexibility of HRAs and the portability of HSAs. We're seeing a lot of talk as we think about a potential post-Obamacare world where the flexibility of accounts is increased so that we don't have siloed accounts that you choose this or you choose that, but you have more of a universal account that has the flexibilities and applicability of both HRAs and HSAs, and maybe some new approach to account-based plans. So in the personal account world, we may wind up seeing very specialized accounts, universal accounts. We could have various ways of matching HRAs, say, with HSAs, and we could wind up with expanding even the um, uh, qualified medical expense, what's allowed to be paid out under the account. Uh, that's something that changes over time. It's something that the Treasury Department recognizes differently. It didn't used to recognize, for example, seeing eye dogs, but that became more prevalent. And so that was included. My estimate is that as we expand that, maybe the next area are things like cosmetic surgery, which is not currently allowed to be paid for out of any of these accounts. But under qualified medical expense expansion, the idea of plastic surgery is becoming more ingrained in the idea that it affects the person's mental health state. And as a result, it can make a person healthier if they're getting the right kind of of services in cosmetic surgery needs. So I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know what's going to happen. But we've got to keep in mind that what's covered under these accounts doesn't necessarily need a new law. It just needs a regulation change. And as the market becomes to accept certain types of expenses as being really a part of a medical care and treatment, 
that wasn't necessarily considered that way before, we're going to see some expansion of that. In fact, as a part of what's called the Cures Act that was passed a couple of years ago, financing, financing was passed on December 7, 2016 and signed into law on December 13, 2016 with an effective date of January 1, 2017. The Cures Act focuses mainly on speeding up drug approvals through the Federal Drug Administration, or FDA. But an important additional feature of the law created a new type of HRA called a Qualified Small Employer Health Reimbursement Arrangement. That opened the door for another type of an account, another type of HRA account. And we'll come back and talk about that in a few minutes. Because as we move forward here, we're talking about fourth generation. There's a lot of interesting concepts, and I hope you'll stay with me. Because we're going to take a quick break right now to go to a commercial. But after that commercial, we'll come back and we'll continue to flesh out the opportunities and the changes that are happening in the healthcare marketplace even before we put together a fully uh, complex program to replace Obamacare a comprehensive program that would actually provide those types of services and benefits that people are looking for. We're moving along that way, but we have a divided country. We don't have the votes in Congress to get everything that's needed. And we're in election year, so maybe those things will change. But right now, there are incremental changes that are very important that I want to talk about. So we'll be back in just a minute. Again, you're on America's Web Radio, and you've been listening to Healthcare Insight. We'll be back in just a minute. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. I'm Ron Bachman, and you're on America's Web Radio. We're talking about healthcare consumerism, the multi-generational concepts that are developing in the free market as it exists today, where the flexibilities under Obamacare are really in the self-insured plan market. This is where employers have much more flexibility to design and create programs, and we're seeing great success. We're talking about something called the Cures Act when we left for commercial. And the Cures Act overturns previous ruling by the Internal Revenue Service that precluded employers from using a defined contribution HRA-only approach to subsidize their employees' purchase of individual plans. In other words, an HRA is an account where the employer puts up a certain amount of money, whatever they choose. Now, if you can combine HRAs with an insurance plan, there's no requirement on what that plan characteristics are, unlike an HSA where there is a specifically defined high deductible health plan that's defined in law that you have to have in order to qualify for an HSA. 
And HRA does not require that. But under the Obama administration, the concept of setting up only an HRA and letting employees go use those dollars to buy their own individual policy was declared to be illegal in violation of Obamacare's rules and regulations around insurance. But the Cures Act changes that. This new law allows employers with fewer than 50 employees to fund out-of-pocket medical expenses and or subsidized premiums for the purchase of individual health plans with the tax advantages that are included in that program. So it allows that small employer where the real problem is for uninsured employers who are starting up their business. They're not yet on solid financial ground. They want to provide some money for health care, but typically health insurance is what's called a defined benefit plan. The employer chooses a program that says you're going to get these benefits, and the employer then feels that they're on the hook, not only for paying for this year's defined benefit plan, but as costs go up, the employer's costs are going to go up along with it. And the employer kind of feels trapped and saying, I don't know that my company's going to exist. I need that capital that would otherwise go into insurance costs that only continue to increase each year. I need that money to grow the business, to be able to hire more people, to be able to buy new um, equipment, to expand our marketing force, to do more advertising. So they're very skeptical about committing themselves on the long term to health insurance, which is why most of the uninsured are in the under 50 life market and certainly a dramatic problem for the under 10 or 25 life marketplace. So in order to qualify for this new HRA only approach where the employer will say, here's some money, an HRA, you go out and buy whatever insurance you want that fits your needs. I'm not going to require you to buy a certain amount of insurance. I'm not going to have a benefit manager here and create staff that says, here are the plan designs, and these are the ones that we provide for you uh, as an employer. No, we're going to give you some money, an allocation, and you're able to go out and buy an individual policy that meets your needs, your family's needs. If you only need coverage for yourself because your spouse has coverage at the job and you don't qualify for that coverage, um, you just need to go out and buy insurance that fits you. If if your whole family needs, then you use these dollars to go out and, and buy for your whole family. You can buy a high deductible plan. You can buy a temporary plan. You can buy whatever insurance is available. But it's up to you as the employee to take these dollars and run with them. As an employer, I'm committing to you an amount of money that may or may not change in the future but I'm going to put money out there for you to go buy the insurance that you need. So to qualify for this kind of a program that's now been made available through the Trump administration's guidelines, qualify an employer must be fewer than 50 employees and full-time equivalents and that they don't sponsor a group health plan. So if they sponsor a group health plan, you can just add an HRA as they've always been allowed with group health plans. But if, If you're not sponsoring a group health plan, you can take advantage of this HRA-only approach. The other requirements that are placed on these types of small employer HRAs are the the employer owes only funding and cannot do any salary reduction. 
No, as you set up the amount, but you're not doing a salary reduction to uh, to fund it. Because only an employer can put money into an HRA. A salary reduction would be sort of transferring monies from the employee to to this program, and HRAs are not set up that way. The maximum allowable amounts, there's a separate amount that will change each year for single coverage and an amount for family coverage. The small employer HRA maximums are adjusted annually for inflation. They must be offered to all full-time employees, except, there's some exceptions, but otherwise you have to offer it to all full-time employees. You can't just pick and choose which employees you're going to offer this uh, uh, these funds to. But there are some exceptions. There, you don't have to provide them to those who are, have not completed a 90-day waiting period. In other words, there are new employees hired, and they have to go through a 90-day waiting period in order to qualify for any kind of benefit, and this would be one of those benefits. You don't have to offer it to full-time employees who are under age 25. I think most employers are doing it to, to even under that, but under under this new regulation, you don't have to do it for under age 25. Those individuals could be covered by other funds and other payments that come out of the of the uh, funds. Um, the other requirements that's placed on here are um, you don't have to cover anybody that's covered by a collective bargaining agreement. Those are a union contract. Union contracts will be set up and <clears throat> they'll be uh, negotiated separately. And you don't have to offer it to uh, part-time seasonal employees. Notice of the small employer HRAs must be provided at least 90 days in advance that you're actually going to be doing that. So if the requirements of this small employer HRA are not met, the use of traditional HRAs are still disallowed under the Affordable Care Act unless there is an attached ACA qualified plan. In other words, if there's a plan there that you're attaching HRA to, you can have that. If there's no plan and you don't have the criteria that we just set out that it has to be under 50 employees and you don't, you're not sponsoring a group plan. Well, we just said uh, you're not sponsoring a group plan. So let's say you're a company of 75 employees. You don't have access to this special new interpretation. So as we said, if the requirements for the um, small employer HRA are not met, the use of the traditional HRAs can still be allowed. HRAs and HSAs can be used for qualified medical expenses covered under Section 213D of the IRS Code. I know that's getting a little bit into the weeds, but because it's to 213D expenses, I've already said that those can change over time. It's what the IRS determines to be a qualified medical expense. It doesn't take a new law to add or even subtract from the qualified medical expenses. So it's important that Anybody putting together a program gets familiar with that section of the code and keeps up with any changes that might occur from year to year. They're fairly stable, but there can be some changes, and there's usually good notices that are sent out. So the IRS defines and can expand qualified medical expenses by regulation. New QMEs can be added as medical practices, and public interest change. For example, in the future, the IRS may have pressure to expand the qualified definition of qualified medical expenses to include cosmetic surgery and other personal care services, as I mentioned previously. There are currently strong arguments for cosmetic surgery, 
and that it's needed to improve the psychological and physical needs for health and well-being. Probably the best example, which is why I bring it up again. HRAs are ideal for ownership and true portability. HSAs, is what I meant to say, are ideal for ownership and true portability. The immediate 100% vesting of HSAs and the ability of both employees and employers to contribute to HSAs is a great advantage in establishing ownership and the potential for sizable accumulations. Even outside third parties, family members, charities can contribute to one's HSA. Employers may want to allow employees to add to their HSAs with credits from unused vacation or sick leave. Both HRAs and HSAs need to accommodate personal lifestyle expenses such as alternative medicines and acupuncture. Employees will want the ability to use debit and credit cards to cover Internet, medical purchases, and cyber offices. The fourth-generation healthcare consumerism in fourth-care in fourth-generation healthcare consumerism, the issues that will grow in importance are security and portability of HRA accounts. Legislation will be required to create individual HRAs for true portability. So if we don't get to that universal type of coverage with the benefits of both HRAs and HSAs, we'll need additional legislation to create a little bit more flexibility in the HRAs for true portability. Employees will want to continued access to funds, fund accounts post-employment. In addition, vesting issues will be important to employees to secure the value of the accounts. When comparing to HSAs, health savings accounts, employees may ultimately expect notional interest on HRAs. Again, HRAs are not real dollars. They're promises of the employer to pay out when a bill is submitted, basically, for either insurance premiums or some healthcare expense. If not initially allowed by the employer, demand will grow for more immediate use of funds for non-planned qualified medical expenses and use of HSAs for paying health premiums. All of that is actually in the works. We're actually seeing proposals to create the kind of flexibilities for HRAs and HSAs to allow for uh, more dollars to be put in, more flexibility on using those dollars, And so I think we're moving into that future. It's not there yet, but there's a lot of opportunity for any employer to take advantage of additional flexibilities that already exist. So let's talk about some of these other aspects of fourth generation as we really get into it. And I hope we're not getting too far into the weeds. I'll try to keep this interesting and keep this moving along. But it's so important that people understand the ability for a large employer, a self-insured employer, to really take the reins and make changes to the benefit of their employees. Let's take another break, and we'll be back in just a minute. Hang there in, hang in there with us, and we'll make some real headway in understanding healthcare consumerism. Whether cruising the strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys 
recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. We are going through in somewhat detail, but hopefully um, uh, clear explanations and some uh, great insights into Generation 3 of healthcare consumerism. We want to start talking this segment about health management under a third generation or fourth generation product of healthcare consumerism. Health management is about the emphasis on health, intervention at an early stage, preventive care services, those types of activities. So how does fourth generation differ from what we previously talked about in third generation? Well, fourth generation health management focuses on personalized health and health care needs, not on population management type approaches as we talked about in third generation, which is about how an employer affects your health and how your health affects your employer. And many programs in that third generation are what are sometimes referred to as population management. You look at your overall group and you say, what things do I need to do to help emphasize uh, health and health care of the group? In fourth generation, it's much more personalized. Personalized care utilizes plan member genomics, proteomics, predictive modeling, and what I'll call push technology, things that are pushed out to the individual based upon their needs, not some generic broad-based need of your entire population. So it's very specific and very personalized. Preventive care includes both lifestyle changes and clinical treatments. Connected to various services through the Internet of Things, sometimes called IOTs, Internet of Things, 
Cyber monitors will provide real-time feedback on health status, lifestyle, and health metrics. So we can do that in fourth generation, very personalized, whether it's wearables or other ways to communicate information back to individuals. There's already things like a diabetes cell phone that has the testing attached, transmit blood sugar levels, and will call with reminders if the tests aren't transmitted on time. Healthcare cyber feedback will provide daily results of calorie intake versus expenditures and suggest a dietary menu for upcoming meals. Now, some of this is a little bit further in the future, which is why it's fourth generation. But some of these products and services, some of these feedbacks, some of these phone apps that are being developed and will continue to be developed are going to be amazing ways that we as individuals can get personalized information back on our health and healthcare needs. It's going to change the future dramatically for how we can manage our own health, how we can deal with the prospects of what might happen through predictive modeling. What are the propensities of somebody who has this condition? What's the propensities for developing another disease, another condition? Maybe it's about safety and risk. Whatever it is, we're going to get very personalized in this fourth-generation world. So much like Travelocity can monitor airlines and flight specials, a potential service could be a cyber health aid that will monitor websites for health specials, things like spa vacations, exercise equipment, medication discounts. A personalized cyber aid may seek out and suggest health-related vacation packages or personalized exercise equipment through Internet searches or automatic cyber auctions. So all this can be happening behind the scenes to create a very healthy world for you to reach out and tap into things that you're interested in. You don't have to be online to find a sale on personalized exercise equipment that you're looking for. If you put into the Internet with a uh, cyber health aid, that cyber health aid will constantly search throughout the Internet and find specials. They may be one-time specials. And I mentioned Travelocity because that's exactly what they do. If you put in your preferred vacation, your dream vacation, you can put something like that in the Travelocity today. And if a special turns up, it'll reach back out to you and say, this airline flight to European country is on special for the next three hours. If you want it, go to the site, select it, and you can be going to Europe next week. Now let's talk about more serious conditions, what I'll call condition management, the chronic and persistent conditions in a fourth-generation world. Well, that fourth-generation world, condition management includes culturally sensitive disease management programs, measures individual outcomes, and supports personal health status. I live in the South, and we have much more fried foods, which has a health impact on many of the national statistics that are developed state by state. You'll see that in the South, our diet probably has a big impact on things like cardiovascular disease. So we need to be careful that we can't change the culture and make everybody perfect. Nobody's going to be perfect. But I think condition management, how we treat conditions, how we recognize and define for good health, may be a little bit different. 
By its very nature, then, fourth-generation personalized care is not a one-size-fits-all program. It's very much targeted to the individual. Fourth-generation condition management programs will focus on compliance and monitoring of mental health and physical health concerns. Patients with heart conditions, diabetes, COPD, and asthma will find life-saving alerts and rapid provider responses to changes in vital signs. Patients with apnea will have sleep patterns and disruptions monitored. The efficiency of equipment and treatment plans will be tuned to personal needs. That's where we're going with treating chronic and persistent conditions. It may be that this information is fed back not only to you, but to your doctor. And red flags can be raised if your blood pressure is above a certain level, if your heart rate is above a certain level. Those kinds of things may go in to your medical record automatically. We're going to see this kind of improvement as technology continues to rapidly expand. As we probably move into a 5G world where the connection and Bluetooth is more readily available and can be more rapidly integrated into our society. These are some of the things we may find as the world changes over the next years. But we're already seeing some aspects of this. We're already seeing some parts of this develop. So as you're planning your benefit design, this isn't pie-in-the-sky stuff. These are things that you should be doing with your healthcare consumers and concepts and planning over the next three to five years. A good strategic plan would say, I'm ready for this. I've developed a platform that can integrate this. I'm beginning to educate my employees on how to take care of themselves, how to follow doctor's orders. I'm rewarding and incentivizing good behaviors. So when this world comes about, to a greater extent that it's already developing, our program is going to be able to be one of the first early adopters because it's going to benefit our employees and their families. Now let's talk about one more area. Health literacy, or sometimes called decision support tools. As fourth-generation health literacy concepts develop, solution providers are likely to provide arrive-in-time information and services at critical moments of care. The fourth generation expands health literacy to include personalized information therapies that are consistent and compatible with specific provider clinical therapies. In other words, your doctor and your information that you're getting about your condition are going to be more integrated and consistent so that you don't talk to your doctor and then go running off to the Internet and find some information that really doesn't relate to your condition or you wind up with treatments that are likely out there that your doctor is not providing. It just creates a confusion when you're trying to get people to comply with a medical plan and treatment. So information therapy is the concept that I've raised here. Information therapy is the prescription of specific evidence-based medical information to a patient, caregiver, or consumer at just the right time to help that person make a specific health decision or behavior decision. It's the ultimate consumer decision support. I'll give you an example of information therapy that was really profound in the life of a member of my family. My sister had breast cancer a number of years ago. And 
the follow-up care for the breast cancer after she had a mastectomy was chemotherapy or radiation therapy. But what happened in her instance, they were actually able to take the cells of that cancer and the background and history that she had from her family, her mom, her dad, and other family histories. And all that was packaged up and sent off to a laboratory in California. And they came back with information about that would help with what she should be doing in her ongoing care and treatment. They were able to determine that the five-year life expectancy, the 10-year life expectancy of her, not some everybody in her geographic area, not everybody in the United States, but specifically to her, what was the improvement in the five-year, 10-year expected life if she went through chemotherapy and radiation therapy? Nobody likes to go through that if they can avoid it or minimize it because those treatments have an enormous impact on the body itself, and those treatments can actually ultimately be part of what can kill somebody. Well, it came back that the improvement in her mortality rate, her life expectancy, was not going to be that great if she went through those treatments. Well, I'm happy to say now, more than 10 years after that discussion that she had with the doctor, not to go forward with chemotherapy and radiation therapy, that she is alive and well today and is cancer-free. There's a company out there called HealthWise, and it identifies a number of areas where information therapy could be really value for following tests and treatments that can be a basis for support, service, and a great value to the plan and its members. There are areas that are going to develop in all these uh, uh, diagnoses. But some of the key areas that we expect and are already seeing some help and support are things like prostate surgery, back surgery, ACL surgery, coronary bypass surgery, medication for depression, end-of-life care, prescription of beta blockers following heart attacks, early-stage breast cancer testing, colon cancer screenings, and immunizations and eye test reminders for diabetes. These are all areas where information therapy can be critical in determining where you go based upon your own individual characteristics and your own individual health status, your own individual health condition. These are the things that a fourth generation is going to bring to the forefront. They're already developing. They're already in the marketplace. They're just not as widespread as they could be to benefit a broader part of the population. But as we see success, as we fine-tune these programs of information and make them very personalized, we will see an expansion of this fourth generation. So, again, be prepared in your plan to engage people in their own health and healthcare decision-making and this will be a natural extension as your employees are able to make their own decisions around their health and health care. So let's stop there for a second. We've gotten into an awful lot on fourth generation. We've seen the value of so much of the fourth generation. Let's come back in the next stage and let's talk about and wrap up fourth generation and begin to think about a fifth generation. We'll be right back after this commercial. Hang, there, hang in there with us. We'll be right back. 
get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Healthcare Insight. You're on America's Web Radio. I'm Ron Bachman, and we're going to wrap up this uh, last segment of our hour, uh, continuing to talk about healthcare consumerism and completing the description and opportunities of what's coming and what's already somewhat here but is developing in fourth-generation healthcare consumerism. And I want to wrap up this segment by giving you some insights on to a fifth generation, which I find very exciting. So hang with me, and we'll get through a lot of this material in the next 15 minutes. But let's wrap up the fourth generation about incentives and rewards. Fourth generation incentives and rewards will be designed to meet individual needs and personal health and healthcare targets. Fourth generation healthcare consumers will focus on individual health status and individual outcomes from goals achieved. Personalized health metrics can be set to meet individualized health status incentives. In cases where health metrics are not possible, personalized healthcare goals can be set to allow plan members to receive program incentives based upon a program designed specifically for them. Now, actually, this fourth-generation approach, a very personalized and individualized approach, is allowed even some aspects of it under Obamacare, where if you can't set up and meet the standards of body mass index, waist size, blood pressure, cholesterol, all those things that you might set up for your overall group, you're then required under the law to be able to set up individual specific plans. So if somebody can't get their body mass index down from a very high level into uh, a recognized healthy level, the law says you can do something very personalized to that individual, but it has to be set up so they can meet 
that reward and incentive if they're taking appropriate action. So, for example, if somebody is very much overweight, they're obese, you might give them a personalized reward and incentive for losing 10 pounds in the next six months. You can work with their doctor to develop incentives on what would be healthy and monitored by their own physician so that you're not doing something that could be detrimental to that individual by changing their lifestyle, changing various aspects of what they're doing, maybe changing their diet. All that needs to be done in coordination with their individual needs, with their individual doctor, and doing plans and rewards and incentives to encourage and reinforce changes to move in a direction that's going to be healthier for them and make them better active participants in society, be better to support their family, be better for their employer, be more productive citizens in lots of different ways. So all that is going to develop to a greater extent a very personalized, rather than being the exception that this person can't meet some broader standard. Fourth generation says that we will develop those specialized program for each individual, not just for the exceptions. Now, let's get into Generation 5. And this is kind of a fun area for me to talk about because I think it really is a critical area to think about and for every benefit manager to consider a fifth generation. I added this only a couple years ago, not because it was some great, wonderful theoretical idea, but because... I saw in the marketplace actual fifth-generation programs start to develop, and that's how all of these generations are really put together, by recognizing that there are actual aspects of these at various stages in the marketplace, but that there's a natural evolution as companies look for the next best and great thing. So let me just start with a little story about how do you know when something is actually happening, because it's not so easy. So the story is like the Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon. We've all wished for an eternal foundation of youth. Today's medical miracles seem to treat death like a disease to be cured. In reality, the best we can hope for is a long, productive life. There's one thing for certain as an actuary I can tell you, that we have a 100% mortality rate. Everybody listening to this program is going to die at some point. There's no pill that's going to cure you. There's no surgery. We all have a limited life, on this earth at least. So the best we can hope for is a long, productive life, not just a long life. We need to have a productive life. Be significant to those around us. Healthcare consumerism is the path for patient-centered care that starts with personal responsibility and leads us from today's concerns about health and health care to a more fulfilling life with productive longevity. Fifth generation healthcare consumerism, I call community health. It's about socially engaging community, family support, friends, and social media to support a meaningful, connected, healthy lifestyle. Social network is growing as a driving force in many parts of our lives. A PricewaterhouseCoopers study found that nearly a third of consumers have used some form of social media for healthcare purposes. 
That self-absorbed baby boomer me generation is giving way to technologies and Generation X and millennials that are sharing communities on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Important insights to the future and fifth-generation healthcare consumerism comes from a book called Blue Zones by Dan Buettner. In Blue Zones, he studied cultures around the world where people are living longer, that is, a higher percentage older than age 100, and enjoying more productive lives by 10 years or more. By relating the Blue Zones findings to the evolution of healthcare consumerism, we can see a fifth generation that differs from the first four by moving consumerism from personalized or self to community and others, from health to productive longevity, from self-help to helping others, from being served to sharing, from taking to giving, from secular to spiritual, from monetary to emotional, and from head or logic to heart and feelings. Those are dramatic. Any one of those would be dramatic changes for how we think about our health and health care and how we deal with others, how we deal with family members, how we deal with workers on the job, how we deal with our bosses, how we deal with top management, how we deal with customers. It's a very different thinking about health and health care, to think about others, productive longevity, Instead of taking, giving, moving from the monetary rewards we've talked about with accounts to more of an emotional reinforcement. So let's take a look at some of the specifics of personal care accounts. Personal care accounts on a fifth generation. A fifth generation world shifts from that financial incentive to intrinsic emotional incentives and charitable rewards. We all know from Psychology 101 and Mavslov's hierarchy that changing behaviors with financial incentives has diminishing returns. Unlike health savings accounts or HRAs, fifth-generation personal care accounts will not be about accumulating money for itself. They will include accumulating funds or credits for charitable giving, paying it forward, and recognition of volunteer giving. Health management. The goal of wellness and health management programs will no longer be about getting healthy, but will focus on having a long and productive life. For employers, it may mean increasing support for walking teams, group activities, worksite yoga, and group meditation. Corporate health events will include family and friends, not just employees, to promote teaming and group support. Corporate health clubs will be open to dependents, friends, and neighbors. Health treatments will recognize the interaction between mind and body. Stress management programs and stress measurements will become as critical as physical biometric testing. Commonly used depression screening instruments include the patient health questionnaire or PHQ in various forms, 
and the hospital anxiety and depression scales in adults, the geriatric depression scale in older adults, and the Edinburgh postnatal depression scale in postpartum and pregnant women. All this is developing in that health management area. Stress, anxiety, those are all key issues to have a healthy lifestyle, being able to work with people and have people you can talk to and recognize your needs and give you mentoring support. Now in this fifth generation, let's talk about condition management programs. Here, new brain science discoveries will support psychophysical initiatives in wellness and condition management programs. For disease and condition management programs, the emphasis will shift from recovery to functionality. It will no longer be acceptable to simply eliminate symptoms or use traditional medical treatments to deal with chronic conditions. The ultimate measurement will be functionality. The World Health Organization International Classification of Functioning, Disability, and Health will become a more commonly used measurement and diagnostic tool. Effective treatments will include fourth-generation tools of genomic testing and interventions, predictive modeling, and proteomics. The goal will be for individuals to return to their jobs effectively, adequately perform the activities of daily living, continued social contacts, and participate in desired lifestyle activities. Health plans will encourage the development of these disease-specific teams and support groups working towards common health goals. Key relationships will develop as friendship pods. Fifth-generation healthcare consumers and plans will formulate, connect, and encourage mentoring and wise men, wise women councils to help each other in need. Methodist structures such as Stephen Ministry will create neighbor-to-neighbor health support and palliative listening leaders. Spiritual support will be available through worksite programs similar to Marketplace Ministries. Website connections similar to Caring Bridge will allow family and friends to assist others in need of medical and life needs during critical health events. We're going to see enormous changes. Health literacy, information, decision support tools will expand to include concepts such as sharing circles and mentoring groups. Cyber health aids we've talked about before will use push technology to expand and link information therapies and clinical therapies. We will learn both from those who have experience and those creative individuals who are experiencing experimenting with new ideas. As far as incentives and rewards, we'll shift from financial to psychic rewards of recognition, honor, respect, and love for others. Faith, hope, and spirituality become an important feature of recovery, functional improvement programs, incentives, and support. Believing in something bigger than oneself can have strong healing and behavioral aspects. So this fifth generation is a tremendous step forward as we move there, as we get to there, we see a future where we're really helping each other. They were sharing the love of other people, the help for other people, and knowing that there are people around us who will love us and take care of us as well. So that wraps up this week. I hope you've learned a few things, give you some provocative thoughts, and hopefully develop a program and design that's going to help everybody as we move into this new future. It's happening now. It's going to expand. Be prepared for it. This is Ron Bachman on America's Web Radio signing off on the program Healthcare Insight. Have a good week. 
You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.